Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is co-host and fellow lifelong H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, it was Sunday fun day for the good guys. We'll get to the Astros in a few minutes, but the Rockets grabbed two massive wins. And that was a beauty against the Bucks. I had my smiling emoji going with that defense. How about 15 steals defense and the Rockets? Not even sure how they did it sometimes, Stephen, because they shot less than 40% and just got pummeled on the boards by 29. Well, the first thing that popped into my head, Robert, after that game was over, is Clutch City back? I mean, these are like the Clutch City Rockets just pulling things out of a hat. You talked about Sunday fun day. Well, well, Friday was pretty fun, too. Friday fun, you know, Robert Covington's tip in, the big difference in that game, and, and then all the things you mentioned about Sunday. You know, it's only two games. Uh uh, but, hey, those two games are big because there are only six games left before we get into the postseason. But, yeah, the Rockets definitely playing some clutch ball, pulling some things out of a hat, especially on the defensive side, which is has mostly been their big question mark. So it was good to see them come up with a win, especially against a Buck team that, as you mentioned, you know, the big thing that worried me is the, the Bucks are just so much bigger. They outmuscle the Rockets on the boards. And the Rockets, you know, at least at the beginning of the game, it looked like they weren't going to be making their threes. But they picked that up, picked up the defense, and came out with a big win Sunday, and then that thrilling win on Friday. A couple of fun stats from that Bucks game. The Bucks were 214-2 and two when leading by eight points with less than three minutes remaining. A little ESPN uh, nugget that they had. They're now 214-3. and three. Uh, going back to the Rockets, getting out rebounded by 29. That's the worst differential for a winning team since 2016. And oh, how about Harden's defense, Stephen? Six steals and quite a defensive statement against Giannis. Two huge stops when it mattered. Yeah, when it mattered, definitely Harden is coming through. He may not be the most consistent defender that you'll ever see, but at least in that game, when it came to making big plays, you know, making. Giannis throw the ball away and Daniel House was Johnny on the spot or Danny on the spot on that one. Yeah, it was great to see Harden pick it up. You know, and I wonder that that stat you mentioned, 214 and three with the Bucks. So many of their wins are blowouts. It's it's not like they've had a lot of games that have come down to the wire where, you know, even I think Giannis even said after the game that they they just haven't been as battle tested in, in games like that. The Rockets have been, and, and that's always a good thing when you get to the postseason. You're going to need games like that to test you. Sometimes maybe it's not a great thing to to win by wide margins in a lot of games, especially when you get toward the end of the season, because the postseason isn't always like that. You're, you're going to have games where you're going to have to dig down a little bit deeper and, and come back if you're going to win in the playoffs. Let me ask you, because I'm thinking maybe this was their best win of the season. Do you think this was the Rockets' best win of the season? I mean, the others in the discussion, the Clips and the Lakers, they beat both of them out in L.A. earlier this year. But I just love this one because the Bucks have been a matchup nightmare for the Rockets. You, you just hit it on the head right there because the Bucks are just there are so many variables that have to go right if the Rockets are going to beat the Bucks or a team like the Bucks, especially when you're talking about the the small ball, the the size factor, and and how the Bucks just outmuscled them. And when you think about you know as we mentioned the stat about the rebounds. You know, most games, if you're going to get out-rebounded by 29 points, you're going to lose, especially to a great team like the Bucs, who I, I feel, you know, them and the Lakers, 
they certainly have proved up until now that they're probably the two best teams in the NBA. I would have to say, yes, it probably is the biggest win for the Rockets thus far, especially because it was payback from what the Bucs did. You know, they, they played the Bucs pretty tough in the season opener, and they just fell apart, and the, the Bucs came back and won that game. So it was payback, and, and just the way they did it, you know, especially considering the odds that, that weren't in their favor on the boards and at the beginning of the game when they got behind by 13 points. Yeah, I'd have to say, considering the team they were playing and how good the Bucs are, it'd have to be the biggest win of the season. And you think about it, too, especially because the Rockets are kind of in a precarious position. They, they're, they're trying to move up in, in the playoff ranking. So what a big win it was Sunday night against the Bucs. And then, of course, the Friday win against the Mavericks. Every little bit helps right now. You mentioned that Robert Covington tip in the last second rebound on the free throw against the Mavs. Just, you know, there's just a really clutch play. Great play. That's why, why you get a Robert Covington out there. And then, you know, you look at him. He hasn't had the kind of offensive games we saw pre-pandemic, but his defense is fun to watch. He gets hands on a lot of basketballs, Stephen. That's something that the Rockets almost fed off of a little bit on the Sunday night game because, look, they, they got, again, I'm going to say this again, 15 steals, including those six by James Harden. Well, I think that's what they got Robert Covington for. I mean, he can score, but it's not as it, if if Harden and Westbrook and, and you know, even Daniel House has picked up his offense, you know, especially, you know, with Eric Gordon out again, unfortunately, I know we'll get to that, I'm sure. But Robert Covington, if, if we can just, if, if he can make those defensive plays, his value is way up there in regard to why the Rockets got him in the first place to kind of give us that that stability on defense or, or just making big plays like the tip-in that he made on Harden's free-throw mess Friday night. Yeah, I was about to mention it. Yeah, the, Eric Gordon, you know, he's kind of like a Ming vase. You just worry anytime he takes a step to his left or his right, he goes down and you're just, you're practically in tears. Oh, no, there goes Eric Gordon. He's done for another few weeks. And, you know, you, you basically are hoping now that he can be ready in a couple of weeks and, and back by the time the playoffs start. But one thing I, I, I was thinking when I watched these last couple of games is, you know, we talked, we heard all during the last few weeks about how Mike D'Antoni is going to extend his rotation. He made a big deal out of it. They add Luke Babamute. You know, you've got Damari Carroll. You got a couple guys that they haven't even touched in the rotation. They're, they're going with the eight man rotation now without Eric Gordon. And the problem with that, Stephen, is, you know, you've got eight games in basically two weeks uh, and you have a team that hasn't played in a few months, putting out guys, especially in the overtime game that are going, you know, four guys going 40 plus minutes a game. This is a dangerous situation. Mike D'Antoni's playing with, you know, haven't guys just run out there playing 40 minutes after not playing for four months uh, in a competitive situation. I, I don't know about that. Well, unfortunately, this is the same conversation we seem to keep having every year about Mike D'Antoni and his rotation. And I just, you know, what I, what I wonder is what is it going to take to make him expand out? Uh, you know, is it going to take a rash of injuries, heaven forbid, or, you know, something where he's going to have to go deeper? You know, you would tend to think, well, the players have had some time off. Maybe their legs are fresh. But still, you know, this this is a tough stretch. And, and there's a lot on the line, too. And then when you get in the postseason – Everything has to come together just right. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see 
especially if Gordon can come back and show some consistency, that will certainly help him kind of broaden things out a bit. But this has been just, you know, one of the knocks on Dan Tony is, is the way he uses his rotation, especially in the postseason. What do you think of what you've seen from Russell Westbrook? Is, is shooting's not been great? I mean, he's the same Russell Westbrook. He's manic. He's all over the court. Uh, but I, I, I would like to see him get back to that point where he was just in that zone early in the year. Uh, I'm talking about not the early in the season, but early in the year, January, February, where he was just, he was taking the type of shots that you want him to take. Uh, he was doing the things that you, you want him to do. Now, he, he should have more assist, uh, especially in the Bucks game. I mean, he, he put some uh, balls right on guys' hands that, you know, were wide open threes and, you know, P.J. Tucker couldn't knock him down and some other guys had some wide open shots. And I'm like, yeah, that those should have been a, some assists. But I, I still want to see him get a little bit more control in his game where he's not having the turnovers. He's not trying to go into three guys. The way it's set up, you shouldn't have to go into three guys. You've got shooters all around you. Well, that's right. You know, the first thing that I wondered about Westbrook coming back, you know, from the layoff and then in his case, coming back from the COVID-19 situation is, you know, what was his stamina going to be like? How how effective was he going to be or how quickly was he going to get back in the scheme of things? Well, I, I think he has, has definitely answered that question. But yeah, the consistency factor, he did pick up his scoring in the fourth quarter on Sunday night. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe these two games or it won't take him very long to get into that stretch. But you almost wonder if the the stoppage in March was kind of a break in the momentum that he really had it going in the season before the shutdown. The schedule this week is Portland, the Lakers, and the Kings. Now they're tied for the four seed with Utah. They're breathing down Denver's neck for the three seed. But you might want to stay in that four versus five because the Lakers look much more beatable than the Clips at the moment, in my opinion anyway, especially if you look at the, the matchup with the Rockets. I mean, the Clips can go small ball, just like the Rockets can. So, you know, you're not getting that maybe inherent advantage that you're trying to look for with the, with the small ball lineup. And we can't take Portland lightly because the Rockets seem to have trouble with, uh, with the Blazers too. So that that's a game that you just, you can't afford to have any trip ups. And, and that would certainly be a trip up if, if Portland is able to beat the Rockets. So that's one thing that worries me. And of course the Lakers, you know, the Lakers are doing a lot better this year. So those are some two big games. I think that, the Rockets really need to win those games. Right, but I mean, here's what I'm looking at. I think they can relax a little bit because when you get those two wins, you know, right there, I, I want the Rockets to look at this as like, hey, let's. this is the chance for D'Antoni to go, let me extend the rotation a little bit. This is a perfect opportunity because, look, Portland and the Kings, we could talk about Portland being better with Nurkic back and, you know, they've got some guys healthy and, and they're looking a little bit better than they were prior to this uh, break in the action. But I still think this is your opportunity with Portland and the Kings to, to extend the bench. And I, I don't think you've got to panic anymore that you're going to fall to the seventh seed and you're going to have to face the Clippers in the first round or something like that. I think you're in a, in a pretty good situation here, Stephen, where you can go, all right, let's just try to stay healthy and try to get these guys you know, enough rest to where they're going to be ready in a week and a half. Really, it's, it's that close when the playoffs start, not a week and a half, maybe two weeks when the playoffs actually start, but around that time. Well, it is an interesting conundrum. And, and that is, I, I mean, I, it, it's hard to argue with what you're saying because the last thing the Rockets can afford is another major injury. I mean, they've already lost Gordon and that was 
you know, b- before the the real games actually began. So, yeah, there's something to be said for that. I mean, I ideally, if the Rockets could just get in a blowout game where they can rest some guys, maybe you know, as you said, stretch out the rotation a bit, that would help to kind of give the players more stability and and maybe cut down on the possibility of more injuries. So it's just something, you know, with with six games left before the playoffs begin, we'll just have to keep an eye on it and see what D'Antoni does. But, you know, as we said earlier, it just seems that it's it takes a miracle for him to to broaden that rotation out. I, I got a little bit of a gripe with uh, some of the Rockets and the Astros coaches and managers, and I've seen it a little bit with the players as well. Look, if you're going to wear the mask put it over your nose that that seems to be a problem and with like real people on the streets but you know these players the nba players the mlb players they're, they're, they're supposed to be setting this example and then i see mike d'antoni also he's got the mask on the whole game but then he takes the mask off when he goes and he's arguing with the officials so you're going to get close to the officials and then you're going to take the mask off and you're going to get your spit all up in the in the officials face and and and, and we're we're back to the whole reason why we're wearing the mask, Mike, I mean, that's the whole example that you're trying to set. And like I said, it, I look at it as much of like, this is about your health, but it's also about an example because, you know, as we know, Stephen, no, no, nobody seems to be getting the idea of the, the mask and like, Hey, this is how you wear it. This is why you wear it. Let's, let's set it. Ex- let's these guys, you know, I'm sorry, but you've got to be this example. And if if you don't do it for, uh, your own health, you do it for the kids out there. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree. I, I think part of it, Robert, is, is just plain stubbornness. And then I think the other instance, especially like in D'Antoni's case, you know, in the heat of the moment, when, when you're upset about something and you want to get in the, someone's face, you're not thinking. I mean, it, it's it's such a, it's such a creature of habit when it comes to that sort of thing. You're just not thinking about it. So I think it's both of those instances, but you're right. I mean, and especially in D'Antoni's case, you know, that would be that would be like Dusty Baker or Brent Strom from the Astros or, or someone who is a very high risk for something like that, just putting themselves in, in danger. And and I just you know, this is the new normal and this is something that we really need to think about and, and everybody but unfortunately the, these players what what we're seeing in major league baseball and in other sports is that it's it's a to me it's a it's a thing of stubbornness. And just in the heat of the moment, like when the Astros and the Dodgers had their little tay-to-tay, you know, it's just we'd like for these players to be an example. But unfortunately, in some cases, they're just like everyone else in society. They just either don't think or they're just going to do what they're going to do. And we just have to live with it. And again, I I don't want to get on uh, necessarily players that are out there on the field, like some of the Major League Baseball players. You see they're wearing the mask during games. You know the mask can fall. Obviously, you're you're running, you're doing stuff. I get it. It's it's hard to be focusing on that. But when I see it with guys in the dugout, I'm like, what, what's the point in wearing the mask if you don't have it, you know, over your nose? And it's, it's I see that with people in society. But you know, I want to see the players and and the managers sort of being in a, a little bit more of an example. And I mean, they've been lectured, I'm sure, more than anybody, and they know. Look, this is about the survival of your season, which brings me to baseball, <laughs> Stephen. And I'm going to get into a little bit about what's going on in the big picture in a second. But the NBA, just they continue to blow every major sport uh, out of the water with the way they're running things during the pandemic. Baseball, a total mess. And I guess we can hit on it later. But let's start off with the actual 
Astros baseball chatter. And Stephen, one thing you don't want to do when you have 10 rookie pitchers is go extra innings three times in a week. That, that's the bad news. But the good news, somehow with all these rookies, all of these rookies, they're five and four, which is good enough for first place in their division. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I heard your interview with Jimmy Price um, over the weekend, and, and he said something interesting, which I've actually been thinking about myself. And that is, you know, with these young guys, it's not only that there are no fans in the stands, and that, that certainly may be a major part of that. But, you know, because there are so many of them on the team right now, it almost has like a spring training feel to these guys. Now, obviously, the games count way more than, than spring exhibition games. But, but it, you know, a lot of it is about atmosphere. It's about the look and feel of what's going on. And when you have all these guys, and, and I'm sure many of them are familiar with each other to some degree because they played minor league ball together, except for the newer guys that have come in, like Blake Taylor and, you know, people like that coming in via trade this past season. But I really think that's a lot of it, Robert, because you're seeing it a lot throughout baseball. And certainly with the Astros, while it is by necessity, just because with all the injuries and other things going on in their pitching staff, I just think that that's a major factor, that these guys, they're, they're all kind of together, and they're in a situation where they're, they're not playing in front of 40,000, 50,000 fans, and they're just able to, I don't know, the word relax may not be the right word, but just enjoy the moment and, and just concentrate on what they really need to do. The question is going to be, though, can they maintain that throughout the whole season if the season should hopefully go all the way? And then when you get in the postseason, even if you're not going to have fans in the stands, it's going to count even more. You're going to have that postseason pressure to some degree. So the big question is, can these guys continue that pace and be consistent even when you get in the postseason? especially if they're, a lot of them are going to be needed in the postseason by that point. Yeah, and thanks for bringing up the Jimmy Price, our Astros minor league guru. If anybody listening didn't hear him, I put up a little bonus with him and me just talking about you know these extraordinary rookies that have just been, I mean, we could go on and on about this, Stephen. I mean, I mean how great have these guys been? I mean, Brandon, uh, or, or uh, I'm sorry, um, well, we got Christian Javier has been fantastic. Right. But how about, Brandon Taylor coming out of the bullpen. Uh, Blake the Taylor? I mean, Blake, Blake Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Blake Taylor. There's Blakes, yeah, there's the, Brandons, there's all, yeah. <laughs> there's there's like two Brandons, a Blake. Uh, yeah, it's all, it's all kind of crazy. But yeah, Blake Taylor has to be the story. And you know what's so great about that is he's a lefty. I mean, you can never have too many lefties in the ball. I mean, how much trouble do most teams, including the Astros, have over the years of finding a left-handed reliever? You know, and, and then you have Framber Valdez, who... I've been down on, and I think almost all of us have been, trying, you know, still waiting for him to figure it out. And on Sunday, he pitched probably, if not the best, certainly one of the best outings he's ever had as an Astro when, when they really needed him to. He just needs to figure out consistency. But to have a, a left-handed starter, if, if he could get his act together, and then Blake Taylor, you know, coming from where he did, and, you know, he did make a bold proclamation uh, during – the uh, summer camp to Dusty Baker that he was going to be one of the pitchers that's going to help him win a World Series. And, of course, Dusty came back with, well, son, that's great, but you have to make the team first. Well, you know, at least it, it's still early, but so far Blake Taylor is backing up what he said because <laughs> he's doing quite well. Yeah, how about uh, old uh, Jeff Luno with a couple of parting gifts? You wouldn't think you would get much of anything for Jake Marisnik and Tyler White, but to come up with Brandon Taylor and look, scrub. 
Scrub has been a surprise that, you know, he's no scrub. That's the surprise. Yeah, Andre's been no scrub for sure. I mean, we, we remember him in that, in the trade, you know, that was made and we thought, well, yeah, we probably won't hear much about him. His numbers didn't look that remarkable really, but yeah, even he has come through and, you know, with some of these guys like Taylor and scrub, I mean, they, they've had very little minor league experience. This isn't, we're not talking about guys who have been in double and triple a for, several years running and they've just been waiting for their shot. I mean, you know, some of these are guys that they barely got, they haven't even pitched past low a ball and they're coming in and making a contribution. So I know this is a totally different season. It's compressed. It, it, you know, there's a lot of pitchers and, and players in general who are out, but regardless of what the reason is, it's just great to see, especially with the Astros and the problems that they've had, on and off the field for the last few months. It's just a great story to talk about right now. And Stephen, how good does it feel if you're an Astros fan to see all these kids pitching well, considering the Astros don't have any high-end young talent coming in with the loss of those draft picks in, the, in his, these two years? No, they don't. And, and, you know, something else that Jimmy alluded to, I know you asked him about what the future rotation would look like. You know, that's something, too, to consider is really uh, among all these guys – Outside of maybe Christian Javier, there's just not anybody that you could say, ooh, there's a, a, a number one, number two ace, or even a middle rotation guy that you're looking at. They're, they're probably going to have to go outside the organization if, say, Justin Verlander continues to have problems, doesn't come back. You know, he's, At some point in the future, he's not going to be there. Neither is Zach Grinke. So that is something to consider is, uh, you know, the, the, with the lightness of the draft that the Astros have had, it's just, yeah, you wonder what the future is going to look like as far as the rotation is concerned, the starting rotation. And these guys are pitching well enough to where they can be pieces in trades because Jimmy made the point Astros might need to go out and get some veterans. You can put a couple of these guys together. They now have some value to them. And you can say, hey, let's let's we got something we can deal which, you know, everybody's talking about, well, the Astros farm system, it's it's depleted. It's it's done, you know, with the, the Granky deal and the Verlander deal and some of the deals that they've made. But you've got guys now, right? You've got guys now. And one of the things that I've, I've always hoped, Robert, especially with this season being the way it is, you, you hope that, I mean, well, normally, I think every year, there's at least one guy, whether it's a minor leaguer or a journeyman pitcher that you sign that steps up and does the unexpected. Well, in this case, you know, in this season, you needed more than one guy to do that. And we've already just talked about a number of these guys who've been doing that. So that I think is another key is what, what the Astros have right now is you have several guys that they weren't even in the conversation when this season began, or even when spring training began, much less the, you know, abbreviated season, you've got several of these guys that are coming in and making a contribution. So whether they stick with the club or whether they can be a piece in a trade, that's a valuable asset that the Astros have, at least right now. And to be honest with you, Stephen, I, I look at this year where it, it looks like there's an asterisk more than, say, the NBA season, which they're going to play most of it out. You know, you're, you're talking about 60 games, 16 playoff teams, uh, all, all, you know, guys that are teams that are now dropping out with the virus and things like that. If you look at it, you go well, how legitimate is this championship going to be? So the Astros having all of these injuries and seeing what these young guys can do and having a chance to develop these young guys, 
I feel like that's a real bonus going forward into next season and the seasons to come. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, this this is going to be an asterisk season, no matter who wins the World Series. Yeah, they're going to celebrate the championship and it's going to feel good, but it, it certainly isn't going to have the same feel as a 162-game season. You know, it's just like a strike-shortened strike year or, you know, any other abbreviated season. It's not going to be the same. But nevertheless, that's just what makes stories like these so great. You know, Robert, we need stories like this. We, we need stories like these young guys, these young pitchers stepping up for the Astros in light of this whole year of 2020 and how it's been in general. And then for the Astros in particular with the sign stealing scandal and, you know, just all the things, the, the fallout from that, and then all the injuries to the pitchers. We need these feel good stories and we just hope they can continue as the season goes on. Last week, we went off on Dusty because he left Devo out there to get shelled, which probably cost a game. This week, Dusty, yeah, he struck again on Wednesday, Stephen. Twice they held the Dodgers scoreless in extra innings, which means they needed just one run. But for some unknown reason, Dusty not calling a butt to start the 10th or the 12th inning and put a runner on third with less than two out. Now, the 10th inning, it was Altuve who normally you would say he's got the back control to hit it to the right side. It's Altuve. Do we ask him to bunt? But if Altuve's bunting, you know, there's also the chance he could get a base hit out of that too. So it's not like you're asking something weird. And Altuve, he's been known to bunt for base hits. I mean, that's part, been part of his game throughout his career. But Kyle Tucker in the 12th inning, I don't trust him. How do you feel about Dusty and giving him a contract extension, which, by the way, happened this week? That call that you're talking about, that that surprised me a little bit just because Dusty is so old school. You know, the, the, the bunt just, you don't see as much of it now as you did. But it, being an old school guy like Dusty, you would think that that's what he would do is have him bunt, uh, Altuve bunt in that situation. And so I was a little surprised about that, uh, honestly. Um, and yeah, regard to the contract, I, it definitely raised my eyebrows. In fact, I texted you, Robert, after <laughs> after I heard the Astros picked up his option for next year. What was it, after four games? I think it was after four games or yeah, they were three of them. It was after the Seattle series when they did that. I remember I texted you. Well, I, I see that the Astros aren't listening to you because they just gave Dusty, they picked up his option. And your response was, I noticed. So yeah, I was a little surprised about that, honestly, because there's no telling. I mean, what if the Astros just completely fall out and you know, they're probably going to make the playoffs, but what if they have a disappointing season the rest of the way, but you've got that option already picked up. And just some of the, the, the controversial moves that he's made, whether it's pitching changes, which we've already talked about, that's just always been his thing. But, uh, yeah, some of the things as far as hitting goes, I, I was a little surprised about the bunting thing just because of how old school he is. He's always been a really good players guy. He's a really good people person. His on-the-field stuff, his, his you know, in-game stuff, is always. I think it's always been a little bit debated who would you want as your manager? Do you want Dusty or do you want the late Wilford Brimley rest in peace as Pop Fisher from The Natural? I got to throw that in there, of course, because <laughs> he passed away this, this past week. Ooh, weekend. that's a toss-up. I, I don't know. Um, hmm, maybe Wilford would be a good guy. He'd, he'd be different for sure, wouldn't he? Yeah, it's amazing to me that Wilford Brimley was 85 because he wow. looked like he was 85 back in The Natural. I, I, I'm the same age as Wilford Brimley was when he shot the natural. And I think I look a little bit better than Wilford Brimley. I just, uh, I'll, I'll put it that way. I look about maybe 20 years younger than Wilford did. It. Yeah. All the, those, those girls that, you know, you're getting all the attention from the girls. I'd say you're probably right, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, those are those are all uh, made up stories right there. But um, uh-huh. uh, I, I I do want to go back to to Kyle Tucker because I'm just not a fan of what I'm seeing from Kyle Tucker and his fundamental baseball. On Saturday, he makes a terrible throw home from left field, not really hitting the cutoff man in a good place. That allowed a hitter to reach second, uh, who later scored in that inning off of a single. So that cost the Astros a run. I heard Dusty even mention it in his post-game press conference. And then if you go back to the 13-inning game, and I'm looking at that third strike in the 12th inning that we were just talking about, you can't do that when you're leading off the inning and there's a runner on second base. It's just terrible situation, you know, situational hitting. And, and frankly, Stephen... I've grown tired of guys, and not just Kyle Tucker, looking at third strikes in modern baseball. It used to be a cardinal rule. You don't get called out on the third strike. Now guys are just like, oh, well, I just, oh, whatever. Yeah, well, especially when you consider the umpire. Every umpire has a different strike zone. And I just, yeah, that's something about baseball that's always bothered me is how you can look at a third strike. It just, the batters just need to be more aggressive where that's concerned. And that's something that Kyle Tucker needs to work on. And, you know, field, he hasn't exactly been known for his fielding. When he does get on base, I mean, he's a great base runner. He may not have Miles Straw speed, but he's a smart base runner. If he could just get smart with some of the other fundamentals, whether it's defense or being at the plate, then he could be the Kyle Tucker that we keep talking about waiting to happen. Yeah, I just, I've got no confidence in him when I see him at the plate because I don't really feel like he's got a good feel for the strike zone. Like when George Springer got called up and Alex Bregman got called up, we saw guys that, you know, these were top-end talents and we saw these guys have immediate understanding of the strike zone. We saw guys that immediately got fundamental baseball and they weren't 90 years old. I mean, Springer was older when he got called up, of course, but, you know, and Bregman had gone through college, but... Uh, Kyle Tucker had spent just about as many years in the minor leagues as uh, Bregman was in college. So I just, I just haven't been impressed with what I've seen of him just as his like just basic baseball stuff. If that makes sense, Steven, it's just like, this is stuff that if you're going to be this high end guy, this superstar that everybody's talking about, you got to get this stuff squared away. This is like Jeff Bagwell one one if you know what I mean. Yeah. The, the, well, there's a great hitter you could talk about that, that certainly understood the fundamentals of baseball and I don't know if it just goes back to the way you were coached early on, you know, whether it was travel ball, high school, to where you get those basic fundamentals, you know, drilled into you at an early age and you just keep going. Or if it's, you know, it, a lot of times it is ignored in the minor leagues. So I guess we just have to hope that somebody will get a hold of Kyle now that he's at the major league level and just make him a smarter hitter or a, a, a more a, a smarter fundamental player. Because if he doesn't figure it out, then he's going to fall short, certainly, of the things that we keep waiting for to happen with Kyle Tucker. Has anybody seen Jose Altuve? If you have, can you send him to the Astros and get that guy disguised as him out of the darn ballpark? Yeah, Jose Altuve. I, I mean, I think he's going to be okay. I, I just you keep you keep thinking, well, he's getting a little older every year and things like that. But I, I'm still not convinced that you know he's. Past his prime, certainly. The problem in a, in a shortened season like this, slumps are definitely going to be more pronounced. You know, with George Springer, maybe he's finally coming out of his, but it looked pretty worrisome in the first few games with him. You just, you don't have as much time to bounce back from this. If this was a 162-game season, we probably wouldn't even be thinking twice about it, but it's not. You have 100 or so less games now. So, you know, something like what Jose Altuve is going through, uh, it's definitely going to be more noticeable and 
I, I look if if he can come out of it before the playoffs begin, certainly, and really get hot at the end of the season and the postseason, then that'll certainly help the Astros. But the sooner the better, Jose. <laughs> the sooner the better. Now, Josh James and Brian Abreu, these guys appear to be the Ishtar and Hudson Hawk of the Astros season. It's uh, a lot of anticipation, but not living up to the hype. If I if I didn't gra- grab you with that uh, reference from about 30 years ago, <laughs> Stephen. <I'm- laughs> yeah. Well, in Josh James's case, you know, it, if if you don't have command of your pitches, everything else is going to fall apart. I mean, in in two starts, he's thrown. 147 pitches and his, you know, balls and strikes are like three apart, you know, 75 to 72. That's not good. He got to get that under control. I mean, just way too many walks. And I mean, I, I was just, you know, I really questioned whether Josh James could be a starter. Now, granted, it, it does take a little time. I mean, if you've been a reliever most of the time and you're trying to convert someone as a starter, not everybody takes to it right away. But, you know, in two starts, he's just had way too many walks, throwing way too many pitches. And so he's just got to get his command under control. I mean, he's got the stuff. There's no doubt about that. But if he could just get the command going, you know, like most pitchers and, and the location, he'll have it. But so far, he just hasn't done that. I want to speak to what you just said. He's got the stuff. I think he's got the stuff if he's going in inning. I don't think he's bringing 100 miles an hour when he's going four or five, six, he's not Nolan Ryan out there. I mean, let's well, you be can't, yeah, you can't do that. If, if you're going to be a starter, you've got to learn how to pace yourself. And that's, that's really why I questioned whether he could be, I, I, I felt like when he first came into the league, you know, and even beyond that, I just felt he was more effective as a reliever when he could just rear back and let it fly for a couple of innings and be a, a good, maybe late inning type of pitcher rather than trying to go, you know, five, six, seven innings as a starter. He just hasn't figured that out yet. All right. We've waited long enough. I'm sure people want our thoughts on this Joe Kelly incident, Stephen. And I saw an ESPN reporter tweet, quote, if Joe Kelly didn't want to be suspended, he should have cheated. Just completely unprofessional BS. And FYI, Kelly's team did cheat. If you don't remember, you dummy he was on the 17 and 18 Red Sox. It, this is the kind of stuff that really makes, you know, the sports reporting and the Twitterverse look like a total joke, Steve. I, I, that, just, that stuff bothers me. You know, Robert, I, I, won't, I won't argue with you. It, it bothers me, too. Every time I see it's like I think I referenced in the last podcast, when Verlander went out, I saw a headline as well, is the Astro season now in the trash can. I mean, they're just they're, there's going to be these constant references to this and you know, with the incident with Joe Kelly, yeah, just completely uncalled. As Dusty Baker, I mean, he he didn't mince words. He called it dirty baseball, which is exactly what it is. But unfortunately, Robert, you know, there's another side that says the Astros got themselves into this knowingly. You know, they they set themselves up for this knowing what the, what they did was wrong, and and rightly or wrongly, this this is the kind of stuff that they're going to face. You know, they're they're already avoiding all the the jeers and boos at least from fans in the stands this season because there are no fans in the stands. So they got you know, they, they got off clean with that, at least for now, but they're still going to endure the, the jabs from the media and the retaliation. I mean, we wondered when that was going, you knew it was going to happen and you figured it probably was going to happen first and foremost with the Dodgers. But as you pointed out, you know, it's like calling the kettle black with Joe Kelly. And then, of course, don't forget Mookie Betts was on that team too. So, 
it's beyond ridiculous. But unfortunately, this is the kind of stuff the Astros set themselves up for when they cheated. So there is a side of me that goes, yeah, I hate it because I'm an Astros fan. I love the team still. I, I didn't like what they did. I, it, what they did was absolutely wrong, and they should be punished for it. You know, and I still keep hearing how Major League Baseball went light on the Astros. Hello, have you looked at the Red Sox thing and how light they were on them? Why are we still talking about how light they were on the Astros? But unfortunately, this is the kind of stuff that the Astros have set themselves up for when they did what they did. Yeah, I mean, I get that, Stephen, but I just I, I I feel like there's this overkill of, you know, let's get the, you know, it's like uh, a bunch of people running in with with pitchforks and, and, and they're they're you know, they're coming in the night and they're coming after your kids and whatever. And it's like, OK, they, they did something, but all these people running after the Astros need to just like hold up just a second, like we keep quit pretending like the Astros we're the only ones involved with, with this. And what's with the these ex-Houston athletes being buttholes? It, it, the Astros getting friendly fire from ex-Houston athletes. David Carr said about Joe Kelly, quote, eight games. He wasn't even ejected from the game. Had an off night. Decided to get a little revenge for all of baseball. And you suspend him for almost a tenth of the entire season. Crazy. Well, okay, David. First of all, I mean, let, let's be real here rob manford said he he put out a warning just like he did with the astros and you know we know that the astros didn't get off without anything uh that that's that's bs they, they got draft picks uh, taken away from them. they get, they lost their gm they lost their manager so let's let's start with that but you know i responded to david carr on this thing i said you know look if bregman became ray chapman or dickie thon would it still be okay does somebody deserve to die or to have permanent head injury for cheating is that justice and then you know i took a little pot shot at him i said go get a haircut and stick to football and uh (laughs) steven he blocked me david carr blocked me oh no you got blocked by david carr oh my goodness i know you're gonna lose sleep over that for for years to come (laughs) aren't you (laughs) well first of all uh maybe david should just stick to football oh wait he wasn't even a star in football either so maybe football's not even his sport uh, second of all, David, you're forgetting something else. This is not the first incident where Joe Kelly has has done something like this. And I, I guess David doesn't keep up with baseball that much because, you know, he did this against the Yankees in 20, what was it, 2018. So he's had a prior incident where he was suspended for this. This is not his first offense. And I'm sorry, I don't care what your reason is. You don't do what Joe Kelly did. You don't throw at somebody's head. It just, there, there is no reason for that sort of thing. And as you, yeah, I, I think you, you handled it well on Twitter, Robert. I'm, I'm very proud of you. And yeah, I got you blocked. And, and I know you're going to be upset about that for a while, but you stick to your guns, buddy. You did what you felt was right. And how about our old friend, DJ Reader, who said on Twitter, I don't understand how he got suspended eight games. He didn't even hit them. I'm confused. And I responded to Reader. I said, quote, do you get jail time if you fire at a police officer's head and you miss? Uh, at least, at least I got a laugh out loud from DJ. He, he responded okay. with a laugh he didn't out loud. Blo- oh, so DJ didn't block you then? No, no. Okay, because because if DJ blocked you, then you might you may want to just get off Twitter because I don't know if you can handle the emotional you know fallout from that. Uh, well, clearly these guys don't follow baseball that closely because if you do, you understand that there there are quote unquote unwritten rules 
of baseball, just like there, I mean, there are in any sport, but baseball in particular, it's, it's how you handle certain things. And as I said, this is not the first time, you know, Joe, Joe Kelly has a penchant for this kind of thing. So, uh, you know, we wonder his eight game suspension is going to hold up, but regardless, I, I was more upset about just how the umpires handled the whole situation than I was the way Major League Baseball handled it. Yeah, I mean, I, David Carr pointing out that they didn't do anything is correct, and that was on the umpires, right. frankly. And they let that get way out of hand, and it shouldn't have got out of hand. And I, I, I do want to go on a Robert rant, but not really on the Joe Kelly deal. I've got a Robert rant on Major League Baseball with the blown opportunity and there's all sorts of blown opportunities major league baseball has over the years, but basically you get an experimental season to work with. They've shuffled all the rules. They said, Hey, we need to move things along faster. So they put a runner on second and extra innings, which by the way, I love so far that's, you know, to me, it has made it much more fun and much more interesting. And the idea being let's get the games over with quicker. Although the Astros haven't been good at following that game plan, but double headers, are now only seven inning games. That's another thing they've done to speed up the game. But, Stephen, these Astros games continue to be excruciatingly long. It's not just because they've gone extra innings. They're going well past three hours before we even get to extras. And so this was the perfect year to put in the play clock. And I don't mean to sound like a broken record because I've talked about this before, but it's more painful than ever when you watch these games with zero fans, so no atmosphere, and the games are just going on and on and on. They also, they had the expanded playoffs before the season started, which the Players Association had to love because more players would have playoff shares. So it was you could make a deal right there. It was the perfect time to experiment. You could have said, okay, we're giving you that. We want, we want the play clock, and that's what should have happened. It was the perfect time to do it. Well, first of all, I, I mean, I get the runner on second base thing. I, I still just, I don't know, maybe I'm on the pitcher side here is that you're you're penalizing a pitcher that you've got a runner on second base, and all he has to do is give up a base hit, and the game's over if, if the home team is batting and the score is tied. But it is what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, and I'm coming around on the pitch clock thing because, you know, if you if you watch games from decades back, these pitchers don't stand around and, and hem and haw and hitters stepping out of the box. You know, some of the greatest pitchers of all time, they they get the ball back and they're ready. Boom, 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 boom. That's why these games, a lot of the reason I think these games – went so fast back then and now it's just like every pitcher has to be slow and deliberate and do this and do that and of course the hitters you know they get tired of standing in the box waiting but some hitters do the same thing they step out of the box unnecessarily I I just think yeah maybe a pitch clock is is what you need and they talked about it but never really got it going so uh, that's something that I probably I, I think I've come around on that the runner on second base thing, I don't know. I, maybe it just needs to happen a little more for me to finally wake up and understand that. But that, that's still just not something I'm a fan of. And, you know, the, the Astros-Dodgers game it still went 13 innings, so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do it. But it, at least it, it points that in the right direction that maybe you'll get these extra inning games over faster. Yeah, if you're griping that it's, oh, it's so much easier to score and blah, blah, blah. Like, watch the Astros. It sure isn't easy to score. They they can't get runners over from second to third. They can't end the games quickly. They can't get that single you're talking about, Stephen. And frankly, the, the people that I don't like to hear gripe about this kind of stuff is I don't like to hear media people. I don't like to hear players. And I don't like to hear managers because guess what? They don't care. They're going to be there anyway. They're getting paid to be at these games. Baseball fans aren't getting paid to be at the games. Baseball fans 
I actually want to get to bed before one o'clock in the morning. And these games just, they get longer and longer and longer. We, as hard as we're trying, it's not changing. And the only thing that's going to change it is the pitch clock. The only thing is, is the pitch clock. I don't see like, what else are you going to do? You're going to make the games five innings. Then you're going to see the old, you know, traditional old timers. Oh my God, we can't do that. Well, all right, then let's do a pitch clock then. I mean, that's, and it's not, it's not like it's a big ask. If, if we like, hey, let's like old time baseball. You know what? Old time baseball, they got the ball and threw the ball. There wasn't, you know, Kyle Tucker stepping out of the batter's box, spitting, which he shouldn't be doing at this point, you know, rubbing his hands in the dirt, all this stuff. And by the way, Kyle Tucker, you, you don't get to do that until you become like a real hitter. Come on. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Be a veteran for a few years, Kyle, before you get that. No, I'm in, I'm in total agreement with you, Robert. And I, I think it really the fans are the ones that should speak to that because especially now, you know, when you don't have fans in the stands and fans are watching these games on television, you know, I envision a day, Robert, because of the shorter attention spans with people. I just wonder if the day's going to come when, you know, how much is going to change the way we watch sports? It already is changing. Are we going to see more video clips and highlights and maybe less fully streamed games? Because what fans are going to sit there for three and a half, four hours, four and a half hours watching a game, even if it's watching. I'm not even talking about listening on the radio. I'm talking about watching on your phone or your tablet or your iPad or, you know, even on a big screen television. So if these games continue to drag on and on and on, and especially now where there are no fans in the stands, all they can do is watch it on television or on their device. It just it's just even more an even bigger turnoff than if they could go see the game in person. Any thoughts on where we are with baseball now that the cards got added to this Marlins, sort of the outbreak group, the outbreak list, uh, reminding you of the old movie. I think, I think it was Dustin Hoffman or something like that. I saw Rob Banford threatened to shut it down, Stephen, but when push came to shove, he backed off. Well, didn't he do the same thing about how many games they were going to play? You know, at first he said, we're going to have a 140-something game season. No, we're going to have, you know, he just he vacillates. If there's one thing, and, and look, I'm pointing at myself when I say this, because I've been in management, I've, I've been in leadership roles, so I'm a, I'm a fine one to talk. But if, if there's one thing that is bothersome about a leader, it's that you can't make up your mind. It, it's like you, you vacillate from one side to the other. And Rob Manford has been doing that, I don't know, for, I don't know how long. And he's doing it now with the season. I mean, the season has got to be in danger. How, how can you justify canceling five, 10, whatever games that, that the Marlins are going to have or, you know, the Phillies or the Cardinals or whomever, and everybody else sails through and plays 60 games. That's it for me, Robert. How can you justify having that uneven a scale? And I, I don't care if you have 16 teams in the playoffs. That's still just not a fair assessment of the baseball season. Could you have done a bubble in baseball? Do you think that was even possible? Because you in baseball, you're, you got basically 16 games every single day. You know, it's not like the NBA where, you know, you have a day off and then there's an, and then, and then a team plays and then a day off and then they play. So you, so you can have like half the teams play one day and half the teams play the other day. And then, you know, basketball courts, you're, you, you, they're easier to find, you know, a couple of them next to each other or what, I mean, it with baseball, you would have needed teams to play, maybe day game and night game and in, in Arizona or Florida in the middle of August, which I don't think that would have gone over all that well. <laughs> no, 
No. Well, yeah, maybe if you took over a whole city, you could, you know, and used every facility. Now, I just don't see how you could, Robert, unless, I mean, maybe this whole thing with the double headers and seven inning games or something, maybe if you played every game like that, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see how they're going to continue to do this season if more and more teams are going to have this problem. And then, as I said, as I just said, that the uneven, uneven number of games would be the biggest gripe for me because what if it comes down to a game or two and a team misses the playoffs? Well, then how fair is that? So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how you could do a bubble situation in baseball. You certainly can't do it with the NFL. And, you know, look at all the problems that, that you know, so many more players from the NFL are testing positive, you know, and they're just now reporting to camp. So the NBA, while the NBA is doing all the right things, they, they have the leverage to do it just because it takes fewer personnel. And I'm not just talking about the players. I'm talking about personnel in general and, and the NHL, the same thing. So I don't know. It's just it, it, it bothers me. That, but the whole thing still boils down to leadership as far as MLB is concerned. Not a whole lot with the Texans at this point. I mean, they've laid down some rules as to what they're going to be doing a little bit as far as how they're going to try to control this you know, virus situation. Uh, the, the, the football news that I thought was, was kind of interesting, a little fun, right before we started to record, Stephen, I saw that Dwayne The Rock Johnson in a private equity firm, a private equity firm uh, buys the XFL for $15 million. So maybe the XFL can, uh, can get back on life support again with, with The Rock. Well, life support is probably what it would be. I mean, they, they've got to have fans in the stands to make that work, in, in my mind, as well as a good TV deal. But, you know, if, if timing is everything. And if sports continue to be shut down and they want to try something and fans are desperate for, for something to watch. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the XFL, I, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm so done with these leagues starting up because it all boils down to money. And, you know, eventually you do run out of money if you're not going to replenish it. And yeah, that's interesting though, that it's funny. You said that the rock um, now owns the XFL. So we go from Vince McMahon to The Rock. Hmm, interesting. We'll have to keep our eye on that. Yeah, we're staying in wrestling for that. Uh, what about a yeah. um, little birthday trivia? You ready for some birthday trivia again this week? Sure, let's go for it. What you got? All right, I'm going to start off with a former Houston Texan player who turns 45 this week. He also played locally for the Rice Owls. Let's see if you can get this. He was a defensive end, drafted by the Eagles in the fifth round in 1997, didn't arrive in Houston until 2006. He's Nigerian, and, well, there's one more big hint, but you, you got it yet? Uh, is he a Christian? He's best known these days for his radio work locally in Houston. Man, I should know that, too. I know, I know I'm going to kick myself when you tell me that. Well, that's the key, because uh, he's a right, former Rice Owl and a Houston Texan, uh, does radio locally. Happy birthday, Andy Kalu. Uh, Andy Kalu, yeah, that's right, Andy Kalu. I should have known that. I was thinking of somebody else. That's why I said that. Next one is a former Texan who was a third-round pick in 2003. He was drafted out of Northwest Missouri State. And like most guys who blocked for David Carr, he wasn't very good. Oh, gosh. How many, how many of those did they go through? <laughs> that whole offensive line, the whole time David Carr played, didn't block very well for him. So I got to wish a uh, happy 41st birthday this week to Seth Wan. His birthday is Thursday. Oh, Seth Wan, yeah. And, and the other thing that's the, the key is you've got a guy like Seth Wan who couldn't block for David Carr, but David Carr 
has learned how to block himself, as we learned earlier in the show. Yeah, he does. Uh, that I don't know how. Maybe he should have been an offensive lineman. Maybe he'd have been better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I've got a former Astro player who turns 65 this week, Stephen. This one's a tough one, I think. Let's see if you can figure this out. He was a utility player from 1984 to 1988, mostly outfield and second base, where he was the primary backup for Billy Doran. He was drafted in the fourth round out of South Carolina. He had two at-bats in that unforgettable 86 postseason. What do you got? Uh, he had two unforgettable at-bats, you said? No, no. They were just the, – uh, the postseason was unforgettable. I'm sure his at-bats were not uh, re- remembered at all. Rememberable, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, that is a tough one. I'm trying to think back because um, Astros history is pretty good. Um, and he's 65, huh? So he's retirement age. Yeah. What used to be retirement age. No, I'm I'm drawing a blank on all of these today. Does it help you at all? It probably doesn't. He's he's now the manager of the Lynchburg Hillcats, who are a single A for the Cleveland Indians. Or maybe used to be because we don't know if those, those teams are even going to exist anymore. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it's uh it's Jim Pankovitz. Happy birthday, Jim Pankovitz. Oh, uh, Jim Pankovitz. Well, yeah, I remember he did play the infield. I guess I'd forgotten that he had played some outfield too. I guess that's what threw me. But I mean, he mo- he mostly was a backup, as you said, to Billy Dorn at second base. I remember that. Um, probably not as much in the outfield, but Jim Pankovitz, he was he was a steady player, uh, not a great player, but at, at least steady and and a good backup when they needed him. I think you're gonna get this next one. This is a former Rocket, Houston Rocket, who turns 58 on Wednesday. He was drafted out of Providence by the Kansas City Kings. He had a stretch where he played in 542 straight games, and he was a 1992 All-Star. They traded Jim Peterson and Rodney McRae to get him. He's got a championship ring, Stephen. Come on, you you got this one. I know you do. Uh, I have no idea who you're talking about. Oh, my goodness. No idea. How could you forget OT? It's Otis (laughs) Thorpe. Otis Thorpe. Yeah, OT. Well, good old OT. Well, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast, Uh, just, uh, you know, that he got the ring and then got traded, but he got his ring. So and he was a big contributor to that first championship. He was a big contributor to the second championship because you basically well, traded right. him for Clyde, Clyde Drexler. <laughs> Clyde Drexler, that's true. So he contributed in both ways, on and off the court. So that's my birthdays for, for the week. Uh, you got anything else before we wrap it up? Well, I just, you know, we're, we're kind of living day to day on this, but we just have to keep hoping. I'm just trying to keep the positive aspect that there will still be a baseball season that now that NFL training camps are starting, that we can actually have an NFL season uh, before it even gets started. Uh, that's that's all. I'm just trying to cling to anything positive right now. You know, the Astros can continue to come through with these young pitching arms because it's like they're dropping like flies, Robert. Every day you see somebody else going on the, the injured list. So, I'm just trying to maintain my optimistic focus here. You know, the the NFL, that's the league that honestly should concern everybody the most. I mean, if you look at the NFL, I mean, we mentioned this, right? You got offensive linemen and defensive linemen breathing in each other's face. But the bigger thing is those guys are overweight. And that's 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 COVID. That's in the zone right there. Yeah, that's true. But also college football, you know, and, and the sad thing about college football is I know they're going to try some fans in the stands, I suppose, at, at limited capacity. You know, A&M seems to think they have a plan for 50 percent, UT 25 percent. But, you know, the thing about college football, a, a friend of mine pointed this out to me the other day. When it comes to college football, 
it thrives on fans in the stands because of the rivalry aspect. And, you know, that you hate going up to, to Death Valley or, you know, to, to this stadium or that stadium because it's so loud and the fans are rabid. And, you know, so college football would really be sad if they can't get it together or even if they don't play with fans or if they do play with fans not in the stands. It's not going to have the same feel to it at all. But you're right about the NFL. That That is a concern. And just, you know, any kind of football, can we get it going? I know high school here in Texas, they're, they're starting back, I guess, training. So it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out, too. Right. I think that's actually, as we speak today, is when they start right. uh, practicing. And, and, you know, going back to, like I said, offensive linemen, I, I think this might have been missed by a lot of people, but... On Sunday, Tootie Robbins, who was an offensive lineman for the Cardinals, uh, among uh, a couple of teams back in the 1980s, he blocked for Neil Lomax back in the day. Uh, he passed away. He was 62. He had COVID. So that's that's the concern right there. I mean, he's 62, so that's a whole other, you know, that's a whole other story. But um, that's why it concerns me about the NFL. And you talked about college football. And one thing that I noticed this week is that college football, the Power Five might break away from the rest of the NCAA, the Power Five conferences, because, I mean, the problem, Stephen, with college football is, at least with the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA, they at least have a plan. <laughs> they're, they're at least putting out, hey, this is what we're going to do. Uh, this is the protocol, et cetera, et cetera. There is no plan for the NCAA as always are disorganized and sleeping on the job and it's the same old NCAA. You just said it right there. I mean, I've been saying for years that the NCAA needs to be, you know, we talk about dismantling police departments and things like that. And here's an organization that just needs to be dismantled and rebuilt or just maybe scrapped altogether and some other governing body comes in. And that's the NCAA. I mean, they are antiquated at just about every level. And the only way that, uh, the only reason you're seeing them you basically give in about athletes being paid for their likeness is because states are passing laws. I mean, what choice do they really have? So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Power Five, you know, a lot of the bigger conferences or somebody, you know, just break away and, and form their own thing or, or at least update the sport, college sports in general. Because if you're going to do it for football, you need to do it for the other sports too, especially in basketball. Right. And uh, just one last thing for this show, we got to talk about, you know, if people didn't, you know, get a chance to catch it, go back and listen to that Jimmy Price uh, conversation on Sunday. Uh, I know it might have got lost in the shuffle. I put it out on Sunday as a little bit of a bonus, a little bit of Easter egg for you guys. Just a reminder, you know, share us on all of your social networks. Either, you know, retweet us, share us on Facebook if you would. Or just, I mean, hey, how about just liking us and favoriting us? That that would be great, too. If you see us put out a show, you know, just that would be a cool thing to do and and you can also message us of course through twitter facebook email info at houston sports talk.net uh we we want your feedback we want your suggestions questions topics whatever you've got but uh as we say at the end of every show uh these days and we got to say you know as long as this thing goes on just stay healthy and safe everybody you're listening to houston sports talk don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>